I'd like for you to go to 2 Kings chapter 5 tonight because the history of our times are on so many occasions like records in the Word of God. The Word of God to me is always an eternal now. It's not a has-been type of thing. It is God's Word living now. It's an eternal now. It's always a present reality. Any person in this auditorium tonight, in this tent, wherever we are, any individual in here who would know enough of God's Word to believe God's Word, to confess with their mouth the Lord Jesus, believe God raised Him from the dead, that individual would be what? Saved. Right. For God's Word is faithful. It is yea and amen. His Word endureth forever. It's always an eternal now. Anybody who wants to can get saved now. Deliverance is always a now. Eternal life is a one-time deal. Staying healthy is a minute-by-minute trip. It's a day-by-day walk. You only get saved once, but you can get delivered physically and mentally time and time and time again because it's a day-by-day believing and walking it. Thank God it's eternal life or we might lose it. (laughs) That's right. There's an old hymn of the Christian church which I have reworked in what I believe is the accuracy of God's Word. And before I read to you from 2 Kings tonight, one of the great records in God's Word of deliverance, I'd like to read you this hymn. Man's feelings come and feelings go. Feelings are senses man deceiving. My life is the Word of God. Nothing else is worth believing. Should mankind the word belittle, and all the world the word condemn, I'll trust in God's unchanging word, nothing else until my very end. Who and what is man against God? Man's words succeed? Never. Man's days are as grass and the flowers of the field, but the word of the Lord endureth forever. Should man my soul and body sever, and life offer no more sweet tokens, I'll trust to the end my Savior, for God's word cannot be broken. That's the hymn. And I'd like to take you to God's Word and show you that it cannot be broken in 2 Kings chapter 5. About 580 B.C. or in the neighborhood of that, there lived a mighty king who was head of the mightiest empire of its day called the Syrian Empire. And the record that I want to read is regarding one of his great men, the king's great men, and that's in chapter 5. His name is Naaman. 
He was captain of the host of the king of Syria, which means in our day he would have been a five-star general. There was no one above him. He was the leader of the greatest army of its day and of its time. He was a great man with his master and honorable because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. He was also a mighty man in valor. He was not only a great man that he, you could honor his word when he said something, he meant what he said, but he was not a coward. He was not one who was burning his draft card of Syria. He was not afraid. Even though Syria, as you and I understand it, may not have done all things right, Yet here was a man who stood for his country. He believed in his country. He stood back of his country. And that's one of the great reasons that wherever I teach and wherever our people are, we always have the flag of the United States flying. A number of weeks ago, I became quite indignant, which is sort of second nature to me at times, because somebody made a deleterious statement regarding the men and the women who are in the armed forces of our United States. And they said, well, why don't they get out of that and hold forth God's word? What do they want to be in the Army and Navy and Air Force for? And I looked him straight in the eye and I said, shut up. That's right. Right now, I don't know a better place of witnessing than in the Army, Navy, Air Force, and all the rest of them. It's as good a place as any place, right? And a lot of you in here tonight love this flag of the United States because of a class on power for abundant living that started you thinking right again. Got your head turned on right. Right. And that's why we always fly the flag of the United States. And of course, when the flag is elevated to the level of the speaker, it's always to the speaker's right. Whenever the flag of the United States is on the level of the people, it's always to the people's right. If this were on your level, it'd be sitting right down here. But because it's on the speaker platform level, it's over here. And to the left, we fly the great flag of the state of Ohio where you happen to be tonight within this state of Ohio. Every place I go, I'm always blessed when they, when they fly that flag of the United States, have it up on the platform and their state flag. I wish we had all the flags of all the states on, in this tent and then all our brother and sister countries that are represented here. But we ain't got it. But the truth is still that somebody's got to stand for something. And we have some great freedom in this United States. And I'm concerned about preserving it. That's why we have the Constitutional Political Alliance in the, that we're very much interested in as American citizens. Our people vote 
We have a representative from Kansas coming tomorrow, I believe, whatever day this is. This Wednesday, I think tomorrow. Yes, he'll be here. He wanted to quit. He wanted to quit until he took the class on power for abundant living. Right. Now he's all excited about his seat in the legislature in Kansas, and he's going back in there. You see, people, <laughs> I told him two weeks ago when we were sitting together, I said, I believe I could honestly say that 98% of the people of the way ministry who walk with us in the household, who love God and his word, vote in the elections in the United States. Okay. I'd almost like to say 100%, but I could be wrong then. But 98%, and I want to tell you, when 98% of the people vote, they can elect people who stand for God's word if you start moving with the greatness of God in the lives of those people. And there are a lot of you in here, as you move into these categories, you will be serving these our United States under this great flag, promoting the Constitution and what our forefathers set up for the freedom of this land so we could have life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness in our land. This Naaman was not some nincompoop. He was not some scaredy coward. He was a mighty man of what? Valor. A mighty man of valor. And I tell you, mighty men of valor dare to believe. They dare to believe. It reminds me of David in the early days of his questing. Was having a good fight with the Philistines. And David just flipped off his mouth. He just casually said, boy, and, and he couldn't have it because the Philistines had the whole city surrounded. They had, were, had taken over the whole thing outside of Bethlehem. And they were a fantastic army with those big giant guys, remember? And, and old David said, boy, if I could just have a drink of water from the well at Bethlehem. Uh, about four hours later, two men showed up with a drink of water for David. They had crashed through the lines of the great army of the Philistines, gone to the well, got him a cup of water, and brought it to David. It's in the Word. That's right. I want to tell you, sir, they weren't scaredy-cats. They were not cowards. They were not men full of fear. They were men who dared to believe. And old David did something that just turned your heart hot. David looked at that and he said, Oh my God, for me to make such a request that these men risk their lives, I cannot drink the water. <laughs> After they went all the way to get it, he couldn't drink it. <laughs> and 
it said he poured it out as an offering to the Lord. Naaman, a mighty man of valor, but he was a what? Leper. Now, to be a leper in Israel, of course, puts you outside of the pale. But to be a leper among the so-called Gentile or pagan nations, they didn't throw you out. That's why Naaman was allowed to stay. And to the best of my knowledge, as I've worked the word, this perhaps was in the early stages of what we know as leprosy. The Syrians had gone out, and I'll tell you something about this. The Syrians had gone out by companies and brought away captive out of the land of Israel a little maid, 5'2". A little. When Syria had gone in to capture the Samaritans, Samarian capital, which were the ten northern tribes of Israel, they brought the people out, many of the men, many of the women, and one little maid they brought out, and she became the assistant or the helper to Naaman's wife. She waited on Naaman's wife. And she said unto her mistress, this is unto Naaman's wife, would God my Lord, that's Naaman, were with the prophet that's in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. That's a bold statement. You're just a little maid. You've been captured. You've been brought in a slave, so to speak. A little maid in the house, servant to the great Naaman's wife, and this little maid in that extraordinary situation says to her mistress, would to God, would to God that my master, my lord, Naaman, would to God my lord were with the prophet that's in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. That's a bold statement. How does she know the mind of the prophet back in Samaria? She didn't know the mind, but what she had was revelation. Word of knowledge, word of wisdom. One of the nine manifestations. And she just spit it out like that. And it says recover. In order for you to recover from sickness, you have had to have health to begin with. You can't recover something if you hadn't had it to begin with. If you're going to retread an automobile tire, you have to have a tire to start with, right? If you're going to recover it. That is a tremendous thing about healing. He hadn't always been a leper. He became a leper. He became a leper, people. And therefore, if he's going to be delivered, it has to be a what? Recovery. Howard, come out here and grab this thing. We'll get warmed up. (laughs) 
And one went in, verse 4, and told his Lord, that's Naaman, saying, Thus and thus said the maid that's of the land of Israel. And the king of Syria heard about this, and the king said, Go to, go. <laughs> that's an Orientalism. He didn't tell him to go to. He said, Get gone, man. And I, the king of Syria, the great king of Syria, will send a letter unto the king of what? Whoa, whoa, whoa. That's not what the little maid had said. The little maid had said, Wish to God he was back in Samaria. The prophet would what? But that sharp king, he's smart. Upper story. You know what he figured out? He figured out if that little old prophet down there in Samaria could deliver him, the king had more power than the prophet, so instead of sending him to the prophet, he'd send him to the king. Smart. <laughs> right. On oh, its great protocol, you know. So this king writes the letter. The king of Samaria, Syria. And he departed, he gave him a letter, departed, and he took with him, Naaman took with him, ten talents of silver, six thousand pieces of gold, and ten changes of raiment. As best as I can figure it, it's about $500,000 worth of gifts. That's something. Verse 6, And he brought the letter, Naaman brought the letter from the king of Syria to the king of Israel. And this is what the letter says. Now when this letter comes unto thee, behold, I have therewith sent Naaman my servant to thee, that thou mayest recover him of his what? <laughs> That's a dandy, huh? And it came to pass when the king of Israel had read the letter, he rent his clothes and said, Am I God? To kill and to make alive? That this man, the king of Syria, doth send unto me to recover a man, Naaman, of his leprosy? Consider this, I pray you. And see, he seeketh a quarrel against me. That's right. Because he knows that I can't recover him, therefore he sends the letter, says recover him, I can't recover him, that'll give him an excuse, he can send his armies down and rip us off. That's what the king of Israel said. Well, verse 8, <laughs> and it was so, when Elisha, the man of God, had heard that the king of Israel had rent his clothes, that he, Elisha, sent to the king. He sent a messenger over there, a courier, carrying a Western Union message, saying, if it was, it wouldn't be there yet. Wherefore? <laughs> I sent a telegram the day before the rock started. Yesterday, they called over here, and they hadn't delivered it yet and couldn't figure out how to get it there. 
Maybe we ought to call out those guys that used to ride horses. What'd they call them? Pony Express or something. <laughs> and old Elisha said, King, what you rent your clothes for? Costs money to buy king's clothes. What do you spend my money for or something? I'm reading verse 8 only in my understanding. <laughs> Wherefore hast thou rent thy clothes? Let him, Naaman, come now to me, and he shall know that there's a prophet in Israel. Ah, that's a telling the king. And don't worry, the king didn't wait very long to tell Naaman this. He hot-footed right over there and he said, I got the best news in the world for you. I got a man down there in Samaria says, come on over, he'll do it. Get rid of him. That's right. So Naaman came with his horses, with his chariots, and he stood at the door of the house of what? That's great. Oh, that's fantastic. He is five-star general. <laughs> and he stood at the door waiting for that silly little old prophet to come out there. Because after all, I'm five-star. That little old prophet, he's just some nincompoop of a little old god fellow that does trickety tricks, you know. <laughs> you know what Elisha did? Elisha, I think, was sitting in the kitchen. That's a big, right. And uh, his servant had baked some chocolate chip cookies. <laughs> and of course, being Eastern, he had to have tea. So he was having himself a cup of tea and chocolate chip cookies. And there's that five star standing outside. And I can just see this thing because Elisha reaches over, gets the teapot. You know, it's got that cloth on the outside, you British people. Keep it warm. Uh, that's for the Wilkinsons. <laughs> they serve the babies. And he reaches over, takes that cloth off of the top of the teapot. Brings the teapot closer, puts a little milk in it, a little sugar in it. Then he pours the tea in it. Then he starts stirring it up. And he takes a sip. Pretty good. And uh, while he takes the sip, he flips his eyes to his servant. The messenger comes over and he said, hey, uh, five star out there. Go tell him washing the... Jordan seven times. And then he took another sip, dipped his cookie in the tea because it softens it up. <laughs> and thy flesh shall come again to thee, and thou shalt be what? Clean. That's all he said. The Naaman, of course, stood outside waiting for the man of God to come out. The respect that's needed, according to his thinking. But the man of God never moved out of the kitchen. He just poured himself another cup of tea, gave a messenger the information, sent the messenger out. The messenger delivered the report to Naaman. The messenger came back to him. 
People, it's a great lesson, tremendous lesson. It's not important who delivers the word. It's important it's the word, people. Try. It's not important how you get the information from God. It's important to get it. And I learned many, many years ago that many times the information is delivered through the most unlikely vehicle. That's right. The word of God was from the prophet Elisha to Naaman via the messenger, go dip yourself seven times in the Jordan and you'll be delivered. <laughs> Verse 11 said Naaman was wroth. You know what that means? He was foaming at the mouth. He was teed off. He was hotter than a firecracker on the 4th of July. Angry, all get out. He was... And Naaman said nuts to that old prophet. And he went away and said, Behold, I thought he would surely come out to me. And he'd stand and he'd call on the name of the Lord his God. He'd strike his hand over the place and recover me of what? Naaman had it all figured out. Didn't quite work that way, right? Are not Ab Abba, Abana, and Fafar rivers of Damascus better, better than all the waters of that stinking Jordan, Israel? Huh? If you've ever seen the Jordan, it's like the Jordan River at International. It's very narrow, usually very dirty. You know, it isn't uh, mountain water. You know, the logic of a man's mind really tricks him. He said, go dip in the Jordan seven times, and his mind said, why Jordan? Why that stupid, dirty Jordan? Are not the rivers of Damascus coming down out of the Mount Hermon and so forth, are they not clean and nice? I might as well go there and dip seven times. But you see, the word of God's the will of God. It means what it says, and it what? The prophet said Jordan. What do he mean? Had he meant Damascus, the rivers of Damascus, you know what he just said? That's as simple as the word is. That's right. So he turned and he went away in a rage. And his servant came near and spake unto him and said, uh, My father, uh, Naaman, uh, um, what's his name? Elisha. My father, if the prophet Elisha had bid thee do some great thing, wouldst thou not have done it? What a servant Naaman had. How much rather than when he says to thee, wash and be what? Clean. If Elisha had said to him, look man, I'll take those gifts you got, go back and get twice as much, and God will heal you of your leprosy. You know what? 
Oh, Nehemiah had done. You know what he'd have done. He'd have gone back and he would have gotten all the money he needed. He'd have begged it. He'd have borrowed it. He'd have gotten it any which way to come back to get deliveries. For when a man is really hurting physically, he'll pay everything he's got if necessary. He'd have done the same. And his servant said to him, look, if he'd asked you, you'd have done it, right? If he'd asked you to crawl barefooted up the steps to the highest pinnacle, you'd have done it. But since he said this simple little thing to you, go dip in the Jordan seven times, it freaked you. What's the matter? See? Verse 14. Then went he down. And that's the only way to get there from where they were. Down to the Jordan, and he dipped himself, what? In the seven times in the Jordan, according to the saying of the man of what? Right. He dipped himself how many times? That's exactly what the prophet had said through his messenger. He had delivered the word of God through him, through a messenger, and said, go dip in the Jordan seven times, and you'll be healed of your leprosy. Now, class, you're a pretty good-sized class tonight, you think of it. I teach classes all day, get by. You people at the rock, how's that? You're still a great class. In order to dip seven times, he has to dip the first time. <laughs> Great logic, isn't it? Real smart. And you see, when he dipped the first time, he was a leper when he went in. When he came up, he looked and said, huh, little bit of improvement. No, no, no. He was still as much a leper as he was before he went down the first time. He went down the second time, came up, looked at himself, and he was still as much a what? What? Because he had not yet fulfilled the word of God, which is the will of God. The word of God was dip how many times? Even if he had no improvement after six times, which he didn't, didn't invalidate God's word because he had not yet what? Fulfilled the word. Most people start praying for their deliverance and think about it, and they say, well, I don't see much improvement. He didn't see any. He went down six times, and he didn't see any improvement. That's right. But boy, he went down the seventh time. He went down the seventh time according to the word of the prophet, and when he came up from the seventh dipping the skin on him was like the skin of a baby. That's right. Gillette went out of business. So did Wilkerson sword blades. <laughs> All of them. Right. Because it says in God's word, verse 14, his flesh came again like unto the flesh of a little child. And a little child doesn't need a Gillette. And he was what? Clean. There it is, class. There it is. The most important thing is to get God's word, number one. 
Number two, carry it out literally. If God said jump, you never ask how high you just jump. <laughs> That's right. Thought about this tonight when Doc was teaching these great men in these scientific fields. <laughs> that medical group that couldn't have been at the university in Indiana. They wouldn't do things like this, but a group of them got together and they were going to do an experiment on a flea. Or yeah. <laughs> and they got their white garbs on and all their nice gloves so we won't contaminate. And they got their pad and pencil and ready to make the notes in this scientific laboratory. They get this tweezer and they set that little old bird down and they jerk off eh, one leg. And they say, jump. And that little old flea jump over there, they measure it, calculate it with that real, they write that all down, real nice. Flea lose one leg, jump so far. Okay. Set him down, pull another one off. Yank! And they say, jump! And that little old flea jump a little less. They measure it all out, pick up their paper and they write it all down. Take off one leg right after another and calculate that stuff scientifically. No mistake. <laughs> Finally, they've got only one leg to take off. And they jerk that leg off of there. And the head surgeon says, jump! And that flea doesn't do one lousy thing. So they take up their pad and their pen and they write. When all the legs are jerked off of a flea, that son of a gun can't hear. <laughs> <laughs> I'll bet his wife loved him when he got home. The skin of a what? Baby. I... <laughs> Well, before he goes home, he returned to the man of God in verse 15. And he brought his whole gang, his whole company, and came. And they stood before the man of God, and he said, Behold, now I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. Now, therefore, I pray thee, take a gift, a blessing of thy servant. As he, but he said, this is what Elisha said, As the Lord liveth before whom I stand, I'll receive none. And he, Naaman, urged him, begged him to take it, but he, the prophet, refused. The reason the prophet refused is because of revelation. God told him not to take it. And Naaman said, Shall there not then, I pray thee, be given to thy servant two mules, burden of verse, for thy servant from henceforth offer not, from henceforth, where am I? 
two mules burden of burden. For thy servant will henceforth offer neither burnt offering nor sacrifice unto other gods, but only unto whom? The Lord. But, verse 18, in this thing, the Lord pardon thy servant, that when my master, the king of Syria, goeth into the house of Rimmon, which is a pagan god, to worship there, and he, the king of Syria, leaneth on my hand, and I bow myself in the house of Rimmon. When I bow down myself in the house of Rimmon, the Lord pardon thy servant in this thing. Oh, it's beautiful. You see, being the king of Syria's right-hand man, whenever the king walked into the house of worship of Rimmon, the Naaman would hold his arm out like this and the king would put his hand or his arm on like this and he'd walk with him down to where the altar was. And when the king would bow, he, the servant, would have to bow. Naaman would. And yet God had just delivered Naaman of his leprosy and Naaman turns to the prophet Elisha and said, do you think maybe because I am the king's right-hand man, even though I, when I bow, I really won't worship that. I'm only going to worship the true God. But in order for me to go with the king, do you think maybe the Lord Jehovah God would overlook this? Beautiful. You know what I'd have said? No, he won't. If God delivered you, why don't you take a stand out there? See? Tell the medical profession to go to hell. That's exactly what a lot of them have done. Hey, wait till I drive this in through your brain cells. That's right. You see, the average man would have said, look, God delivered you. It's my denomination. Stay put, boy. Don't you get out of this denomination and go back to all those sinful things. Fantastic learning in here, people. And I hope you got what I said. Not I'll keep repeating it. It'll stay all night. Lost the verse. What verse are we in? 19. And he, the prophet, said unto him, Go in what? There it is. Go in peace. That he got by revelation from the true God to the prophet Elijah, who said to Naaman, Go ahead. Whenever the king goes in to worship Rimmon, let him lean on your arm. Boy, what a tremendous God we have of love. Shoot. We believe in healing. Our God's able to deliver to the uttermost. All things possible to him that what? That's right. Yet we never take a crack at the medical profession. We don't take a crack at the chiropractors, the dentists, any others. 
We're not in the business of taking cracks at people or profession. We're in the business of teaching God's word, God's deliverance, no matter what profession or business. I'm just thankful when anybody gets delivered from anything in any which way, because no man can heal. No doctor can heal. Dr. Weingartner will tell you that. Anybody will. All they can do at best is help to remove some of the cause. Look, baby, this arm broken. All a doctor could do is set it. He can't heal it. The healing is still of God. I don't care who does it. It's still a God. That's right. Sure, God had delivered Naaman of the leprosy. God had delivered him. The prophet Elisha had carried out the ministry that he was responsible for. And yet the love of God is so tremendous that he allowed him to go back and go into the house of Rimmon. If God is that loving, why should I become critical? Why should I criticize people? I don't. Every man has to walk in his own shoes before God, for we're all accountable to God. He is our creator. He's the one who gave us the new birth, and we'll all stand before him. And therefore, there are some things maybe in your walk that you can do I can't do. Things in my walk I may be able to do that you can't do. So it's never that we criticize anyone. We just hold forth the greatness of God's word that whosoever will may come and get delivered and get what God's best is. That's all. And he said, go in what? Peace. Go in peace. I'd like to show you one more of deliverance tonight. And this one won't take too long. But you're not going any place anyways till Sunday night. Ah, <laughs> oh, you're beautiful. I think to show you this one from Second King, I'll begin reading with the 24th verse of the 6th chapter. It came to pass after this had been Hadad, king of Syria, gathered all his hosts and went up to besiege Samaria. This is perhaps Ben-Hadad the second or the third. Nobody seems to be able to figure it out. No making difference. At least his name was Ben. That we know. And there was a great famine in 25 in what? And if the Bible says a great famine, you know what that means? Great famine. And behold... They besieged it, they besieged the city of Samaria until an ass's head was sold for four score pieces of silver. That's 25 bucks. And the fourth part of a calf of doves dung for five pieces of silver. That's $1.75. And as the king of Israel was passing by upon the wall, there cried a woman unto him, saying, Lord, help my lord, O king. And he said, If the Lord do not help thee, when shall I help thee? out of the barn floor, out of the wine press. And the king said unto her, What aileth thee? And she answered, 
This woman said unto me, Give thy son that we may eat him today, and we'll eat my son tomorrow. So we boiled my son, did eat him. And I said unto her, The next day give thy son that we may eat him. But she had hit her son. I'm going to eat that one. And it came to pass when the king heard the words of the woman that he rent his clothes and he passed by upon the wall. The people looked and behold, he had sackcloth within upon his flesh. Then he said, God do so and more also to me if the head of Elisha, the son of Shapheth, shall stay on him this day. The king blamed the prophet, the man of God, for the great famine. Men of God have always taken blame for everything that somebody else don't want to blame themselves for. They always put it on men of God. This is what the king did. <laughs> and so the king said, boy, I'll be darned. I'm going to get that head of that prophet before this day is over. I'm going to chop his head off. Verse 31. And Elisha sat in his house, biting his fingernails up his second knuckle. Scared to death. Nope, Elisha sat in his house and he's still in the kitchen pouring himself another cup of tea. <laughs> That's right. Didn't shake the prophet any. And the elders were sitting with him. This was three o'clock afternoon tea. But the king sent a man from before him and ere before the messenger came to him, he said to the elders, the prophet said to the elders, you see how this son of a murderer has sent to take away my what? Here comes this guy from the king, and the prophet sitting there with the elders, sipping tea, and he isn't reading out of the bottom of the teacup, baby. But revelation, he just sees this man coming. Sees him coming by revelation. And he said to his elders, you know when the messenger comes, you, we, we shut the door, we hold him out. Because the sound of his master's feet are right what? Yeah. And while he yet talked, while he, look at verse 33, while he yet talked, while the prophet yet talked with the elders, behold, the messenger came down unto him and he said, behold, this evil's of the Lord. What should I wait for the Lord any longer? This great famine's of the Lord. The Lord sent the famine. You're responsible for it, Elisha. <laughs> and Elisha turned up his volume, microphone, PA. And he said, hear ye the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord. Tomorrow about this time shall a measure of fine flour be sold for a shekel and two measures a barley for a shekel in the gate of the city of Samaria. And that's a dollar sixteen cents. A great famine. No food. Asses head. Doves dunk. You saw it. No food. People were really starving. Somebody had boiled kid. All this stuff. <laughs> and here is that stupid prophet. Stands up there and he says, Hear ye the word of the Lord. Tomorrow, less than 24 hours, about this time, there's going to be so much food in that city, you can buy a measure of barley and fine flour for 
a dollar seven sixteen cents. Then the Lord, on whose arm it is in the text, its arm meaning that he laid his hand right here. That's why I understand King James when it said his hand. Laid it right there. Hand leaned. Remember, we just read that about Syria. If the Lord would make windows in heaven, might this thing be? That's what the smarty said. He said, if God Almighty made windows in heaven, you could not get that much food into Samaria in less than 24 hours. And the prophet said, eh, you'll see it, but you ain't going to eat of it. That's verse 2. I want to tell you, if God's going to do this, he's got a little thing to do. That's right. If God's going to accomplish that which the prophet just said and not make the prophet look like a fool, God's got to go to work. So he's got a short time to do it, less than 24 hours. That's right. Now, how's he going to do it? Oh, it's wonderful. There were four leprous men at the entering in of the gate. And they said one to another, why sit we here until we die? That's about the smartest thing those four ever said. <laughs> now the reason they were sitting at the gate is because <laughs> they had thrown them out of the city of Samaria. They weren't allowed in. And here were these four lepers, not allowed in the city, sitting on the outside, the famine tremendous. And one of them said to the other three, what are we doing sitting here until we die? If we say we'll enter the city, then the famine is what? In the city, we shall die there. If we sit here, we're going to die what? Now therefore come and let us fall unto the host of the Syrians. If they save us alive, we shall live. If they kill us, we shall but what? That's what yeah. Uh, often think of these things. Why sit we here until we die? You see, if we walk into the mouth of the lion, all the lion can either do is chew on us or get regurgitated and turn into a lamb or something. I don't know. These four lepers said, why sit we here until we die? If we go back in the city... They haven't got any food, we die. If we sit here, we die. We might as well get up and do something. Because if we start moving, all we can do is die. And if we stay sitting, we're going to die anyways. And if you're going to die, you might as well die standing up as laying down. That's right. And if I had any one message to cry to our nation tonight, it would be that same message of truth. Why sit we here until we die? Why? That's right. Why don't we as Christian believers stand up and get counted? Why don't we hold forth God's word to every Tom, Dick, and Harry, Mary, Susie, and Jane? That's right, the Word, the Word, the Word. The reason our people in our nation are dying tonight is because of a lack of the knowledge of God's Word. 
We do not lack a knowledge in physics, chemistry, outer space, a lot of other, but our people are dying in our nation because they lack God's word, people. And there is no use to going back to the old sources to try to get it because they haven't got it. And you cannot put new wines into old skins. So if I were to cry tonight to our nation, I'd say, why do we as Christians sit here until we die? The only thing they can do to us if we get up and walk is kill us. But if we sit here, we're going to kill ourselves. Either way, we're going to die. So why sit we here until we die? Why don't we get up and move God's word? Talk the word. Walk the word. Speak the word. Move it. That's right. Boy. People, why sit we here until we die? Well, anyways, you can read the rest of the story. Every word of that prophet was true in less than 24 hours. They had all of it. And I'll tell you why. Because four men dared to believe God, and they weren't even Christians. They dared to believe. They dared to believe. They dared to believe. And they came to a decision. Why sit we here until we die? They moved. And when they move, God moved. Ladies and gentlemen, God has past tense moved, sir, in Christ Jesus, making available the power of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. And God does not move today until you move. God moved in Christ Jesus that any man can be born again, right? But that man has to move. He has to open the door, I will come in. God has moved, sir. He's waiting on us to move. God has moved. He is the first mover. He's the prime mover. Now when you and I move, then God moves again. And we move upon the greatness of the word. Those men said, why sit we here until we die? They got up. They moved, and God brought deliverance. Ladies and gentlemen, when we move, God will bring deliverance. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Remember that great hymn tonight? Look full in his wonderful what? Then the things of earth grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and of his grace. Ladies and gentlemen, we're on the move for God with the greatness of his word. And I thank God for every soul in here, every boy and girl, every young person, every father, mother, every adult, aged person, I thank God that you've got the courage to move on the word and no longer just sit and die.